you're getting ready to graduate from nursing school this December. As you're preparing for finals, as you're preparing for the holidays, you're also starting to think about the NCLEX. What do you need to know about preparing for the NCLEX? What do you need to know about the next generation NCLEX updates? How long should you be preparing and what are the day of NCLEX study tips? Today, we're going to get into everything that you need to know about how to prepare for the next generation NCLEX updated for December graduates and 2023. Before we dive into it, I do want to do an introduction. My name is Anna. I was a former CVICU nurse and travel nurse for about three years, and I now am a second year student registered nurse anesthetist. So I am in anesthesia school. I'm passionate about educating, and I'm here today with my business partner. I'll let you introduce yourself, Chrissy. Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I've been a practicing CRNA for the last six years. I work educating SRNAs, that is student registered nurse anesthetist. I also lecture in our membership that I've co-founded with Anna, Confident Care Academy. And before that, I was a CVI student. So both of us are very passionate about bringing you guys every single tool that we wish we had along the way from nursing school through your CRNA journey, if that's the path you choose to go down. Welcome. I love it. So what we're going to talk about today is how long you should study and how you should prepare. We're going to talk about what you need to know for the next generation NCLEX and the updates and statistics that we have on the next generation version of the NCLEX. We'll talk about how to study with science-based study tips and then day of exam tips. So make sure that you stay till the end so that you get those day of NCLEX exam tips. As we're diving right into it, the very first thing is how long should you be studying for the NCLEX? And I would like to kick this off by asking you, Chrissy, Chrissy, how did you prepare for the NCLEX? Like how long did you study? I would just be super interested to hear your experience. So the way that my nursing program was set up, it was a second degree accelerated 12 month nursing program. My first degree before that was psychology and I had minored in biology and Spanish and taken, you know, all of my pre-med prerequisite requirements as well. So during the second degree accelerated nursing program, we were actually required to use the Kaplan preparation program throughout the entire program. So we were always doing NCLEX style practice questions pretty much from day one of nursing school because everything was so condensed together. So it's fair to say that as we were learning our core materials, we were kind of constantly reviewing for the NCLEX and we did have to do like a big practice exam at the end and that was all part of our core curriculum as well. So by the time I graduated, I really didn't have to buckle down and do a ton of cramming. I had gotten comfortable with the question style along the way. And that's like one of the key ways to prepare. There are so many different types of preparation programs out there. And we're going to talk about a few different ones today as well later in this episode. But no matter which one you choose, the idea of like kind of breaking it up along your learning journey rather than cramming it in at the end is so essential. When it came time for the actual NCLEX, I graduated in the beginning of May and I took my NCLEX in, I believe the beginning of June or maybe the end of May. I think I only took about three weeks to study for it. I focused on areas that in school were like my weakest content areas, but I didn't focus only on cramming in information. Again, most of my preparation was based on practice testing. What did that look like for you? I know you were in a more traditional four-year BSN program, so I'm assuming things looked a little bit different where you were, Anna. It's really interesting hearing about how differently nursing programs are set up because I think some programs really do a good job of preparing you for 
the board's NCLEX like all throughout the school. It's interesting for me to hear about your experience using Kaplan like all throughout nursing school. I was in a program that was a traditional BSN. It was two and a half years. Um, you did have to like apply to get into University of Colorado Denver nursing school. So I did my like two years of prereqs and then I did my two and a half years of nursing school. However, we didn't really utilize like any board's preparation materials as a part of the nursing curriculum, which I think we might be a, a minority in that. I know a lot of places use like ATI, HESI, a lot of places use like Kaplan UWorld, like integrated within the nursing curriculum itself. So I was never taking the HESI exams. I never took NTI. I think that's what it's called. May, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments or ATI. Maybe it's, it's ATI. I'm thinking about <laughs> the NTI conference anyway. Okay. Yeah. So ATI, we never did that. So I graduated, I believe at the end of May, and then the holdup for me to take the NCLEX was getting my ATT, the ticket to test authorization testing ticket, something like that. And I think that in Colorado, they went by like last name because people who had a last name that started with like an A, B or C, they ended up getting their ATT sooner. It might have been also the way that the school released our transcripts to the Board of Nursing. Either way, I didn't get my ATT until July, which was as a type A person who like wants to, I, I'm a big fan of pulling the bandaid off. I wasn't a fan of that. I didn't get my ATT until July. But when I did get my ATT, I registered for the NCLEX in Washington, D.C. because I was moving to Baltimore for my new grad job at Johns Hopkins in the CVCQ, which you can check out our episode about our origin story if you want to hear about that a little bit more. <laughs> but I registered for the NCLEX three days after I got my ATT. So I had been like kind of casually studying in throughout the month of June, but I really only intensely studied for about a week. And then when I finally got my authorization to test, I registered and I took the NCLEX three days later. And I do think that I want to briefly mention here a little bit about licensing, because did you know, Chrissy, that you could like take the NCLEX in any state. Did you know that when you graduated? I did actually, because we also, I was also very impatient about my authorization to test my ATT. I wanted it right away. I actually was looking for jobs in three different states and I needed to have my NCLEX pass and you couldn't apply for like a state licensure until you had that. Um, and I needed all of that done so I could take a job in New York city by July. And unfortunately that like timing did not work out. I was not able to take the position because I couldn't get my nursing license in time. And I ended up taking a job in Philadelphia instead, but because I was in such a rush to take my NCLEX once I got the ATT, I looked at NCLEX testing centers in Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York in order to find a testing center with the earliest possible date. So I, now that I think about it, I got my authorization to test like in the first few days of June and I managed to find a testing center in Queens on June 10th. That's the day that I took and passed my NCLEX um, now that I... I'm oh, I love that you still remember that. Yeah, it, June like, 10th, it, <laughs> 2013. It forever. 2013. Yeah, wow. so I was like driving, like I like woke up at like 4 a.m. to drive through the city and navigate to the testing site and find a parking garage. It was really stressful, but I was living in Philadelphia at the time. I have chills thinking about that. Oh my gosh. Did you have an 8 a.m. test time too? Or was that a yeah. noon test time to get no, it before? It was like an 8 a.m. test time, yeah. <laughs> That'll kind of tie into our day of exam tips, which one of them is like getting a good night's sleep because and I think neither Chrissy or I did that because <laughs> I flew to DC and I was in uh, like mountain time and then I was there for less than like 12 hours before I ended up taking the NCLEX and I woke up at, I mean, I was taking the NCLEX for an 8 a.m. start time, which felt like six my time and I was sleepy. So anyway, like do as we say, not as we do kids as always, right? <laughs> but that it 
that does just go to show that you can take the NCLEX in any state. So if your state testing centers are full, because Colorado was, I would have had to wait like three weeks to take the NCLEX in Colorado. And I was in DC looking for places to live anyway. So you can expand your search for your licensing for your NCLEX. I'll also just briefly add here, nurse licensing is a little bit confusing with the compact state versus the non-compact and all that good stuff. We do have a whole, I think it's a YouTube video on my personal channel that will link here about nurse licensing. No, we but basically have what you need to know I is that- I think we have one on our channel oh, do too. do we have an episode? It's about don't lose money oh, with perfect. licensing. And we talk about- um, we go into it a little bit. I think Anna also has one on our personal channel. We have both. Check out the podcast one though, because I think the podcast one is like 30 minutes and it's a bit more comprehensive. And I think the one on mine is like old and it's only like nine minutes long. But basically, definitely go check out that video. But basically, if you're sitting for your license in a compact state, you can work in any of the other compact states. And then if you are sitting for your license in a non-compact state, you don't have to be currently living there, but they might want you to tie your um, like registration to an address and just kind of be aware of the timeline of applying for a nursing license in a state that is not a part of the nursing licensure compact. States that are not a part of it as of right now, I believe two big ones are California and New York. So just be aware of that. Because <laughs> Chrissy, were you looking to take it when you were looking to apply? Neither Pennsylvania nor New York were part of the nurse licensure compact. Correct. Wasn't complicated. Correct. Um, well, yeah, it was complicated. I mean, you know, each state just at the time, I don't think you I'm not sure if New Jersey was either at the time. So I was applying for nurse licenses in multiple states because I was applying to jobs in multiple states. So that was a little frustrating. Every state has its own like paperwork you have to submit and different evidence. And yeah, they all have their own different rules. It was a little complicated. Honestly, that is a whole episode's worth. So go check out the podcast episode that we have about like don't lose time and money with credentialing delays. Definitely go check out that episode. But a little pro tip for this episode is that yes, for whatever state that you're trying to get licensed in, you can take the NCLEX in any state. So if you're trying to get license in Texas, but you're in Virginia, you can sit for your Texas nursing license in Virginia, etc. So that's just kind of a little pro tip as you're like hopping into it. I think that leads us pretty squarely into what is new about the next generation NCLEX? Like what is the update? Because we did an episode back in April, I believe about the NGN NCLEX and the updates, but now we have some statistics demonstrating how applicants are doing with the next generation NCLEX, which I think is super interesting. Let's kind of dive into this here. This is our next topic. The NGN NCLEX updates. Getting into these updates. So we see that the next generation NCLEX it was updated on April 1st, 2023. And the results are in. This is actually really interesting as I was pulling up research and just stats for this episode. So the next generation NCLEX has significantly higher boards pass rates. 94% of US educated first-time test takers passed the NGN NCLEX on their first attempt versus previously about 79% of first-time test takers who were educated in the U.S. We will have a screenshot here that shows those updated statistics. I also will add that uh, the results were better for nurses who were attempting the NCLEX for the second time and for nurses who were attempting the NCLEX who were educated outside of the United States as well. So really across the board, we have higher first-time boards pass rates, which I think is really interesting. So what is kind of different about this version of the NCLEX? It still uses computer adaptive testing, which means that if you take a question, you get it right, you are fed a more difficult question. And if you get a question wrong, you are fed a more easy question. So you're still using that computer adaptive testing format that the old version of the NCLEX was using. But this version of the computer adaptive testing indicates that it provides higher accuracy based off of previous answers in comparison to the old version of the exam. And you end up starting with medium questions versus like easy questions. So you start kind of more in the middle, which 
which I think is interesting. I'm interested to see that's as a kind of an aside as AI kind of continues to get better, how computer adaptive testing will evolve for all of us in the medical profession. What yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Chrissy? I love that because this is a great example of how technology can really be used to benefit us in so many different sectors. I can't tell you how many nurses that I've met along the way who if you guys aren't familiar with the old NCLEX, you used to be able to go all the way to 265 questions. They would sit in the exam for hours and because they would just kind of like stay right at that medium line of what the computer gauged their skill level to be or their knowledge level to be, right? So they get a harder question, they get it wrong, they get an easier question, they get it right. And because the computer adaptive testing couldn't really pinpoint well their level of skill or knowledge, it would just keep feeding them questions and people would take this test for hours only to go to question number 265 and have no idea if they passed or failed. And that was just demoralizing to so many people. In fact, most of my friends who did not pass the first time were the person who went all the way to 265. They were so close to passing. So when it came time for them to repeat their NCLEX, they were just gutted. They felt horrible about themselves. They felt like they tried so hard. It was such a, a long and exhausting exam. So that was, you know, I, I don't know too many people at all who the shortest you could take it was 75 questions, right? By 75, it was either really clear yeah, that 75 you were, was you were, the old. Yeah, so you're either like a rock star killing it and it shut off at 75 and you passed or you were bombing it. You were so far off, 75 failed. I don't know a single person who failed in 75. Everyone I know that failed, failed. I've never failed met it. anybody. Yeah, everyone I know that failed, failed all the way to 65. So having smarter computer adaptive testing that can gauge the skill level earlier and provide a shorter exam with more accuracy, it's just a more positive experience for the test taker. And if you are one of the people that fails, you know what, it's, it's okay, you try again, but at least you're not quite as gutted as the person who's been in the test for like four hours going to 265 questions. There's just something brutal about that to me. And that gets into the day of exam tips, which we'll close the episode with. But man, like if you're coming in there expecting to be in and out in 45 minutes, and then instead you end up getting 265 questions and it takes like five hours. You didn't pack enough snacks for that. You know, like you're exhausted and that's brutal. I had a classmate who failed at 265 questions and it is, it's something that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And I'm glad that we're now using the computer adaptive testing. That's, it's a bit smarter, the computer programming versus kind of dragging you along for so long. That also brings up that uh, the exam is shorter now. The maximum number of questions is now 150. So it's 150 versus 265. I think that's a huge and positive change. So 85 questions is the new minimum NCLEX exam length and 150 questions is the new maximum length. There are a few other additions that have been added in. There notably is this bow tie question and that's where you select the likely diagnosis for the patient. Then enter, you then choose the interventions and parameters that are likely to be associated with the diagnosis based on a case study. So you have three case studies with six questions each. So 18% of the exam is related to these case studies and to these bow tie style questions. And I think that makes sense because everything that we do in nursing is related to our assessment and then interventions that are based off of our assessment and diagnosis of the patient. I think that's like a really great change. Another really great change are the acceptance of partial credit for select all that apply. And I think that was something that was really brutal before, you know, the, you would get options A through K and you would get the entire question wrong if you didn't get all six correct choices. <laughs> it was brutal. That was so frustrating <laughs> to all the of us. Yeah. Because in real life, 
I, I don't find that format particularly helpful, right? Like if you have a patient and you grab suction, turn on the oxygen and then, you know, call for help, but they mark you wrong because you said call for help first. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like that's not helpful and you're doing all the right things. It's just like in which order and the select all that apply. I think that's brutal. <laughs> How is that for you, Chrissy? Like the select all that apply, like in nursing school and then also for the NCLEX. Completely agree. So because we were using this NCLEX style practice testing all the way through nursing school, I remember my first exam in nursing school getting a bad grade and being shocked because all my life I had been a straight A student. I really had never gotten bad grades before really other than maybe like I don't know the beginning of my general chemistry class and then everything was graded on a curve anyway like it was just shocking to me to study and know the material so well and then miss again one out of like eight different choices you select four out of the five right or one of them is very close and then the whole question's wrong you don't do well on the exam so that was like very frustrating for it's frustrating for nursing students I think most schools test this way throughout the program it's not reflective of real life as you said in real life if you think of four of the five different things you need to do we work in teams our decision making and the things that we do are not all done in a millisecond, usually one thing prompts another, you'll remember it in the next moment or another team member will come by and bring something to your attention, right? So I think partial credit is more like how real life functions. Very few of us are working in silos in healthcare, especially if you're a nurse. I think that's a really good point, Chrissy. And I think what you brought up about it being real life was really interesting because that also is another change with this new format is that um, there's the inclusion of lab values for patients, which I think is something that is very based in real life nursing. And I think that in my own nursing education, I did, would learn that like hypokalemia would be associated with diarrhea or whatever, or hyperkalemia, whatever. I would learn things like that, but I would not really be given, hey, here's a case study for a patient and here are their lab values. What are you expecting and what interventions are you going to take? That was pretty new for me when I started practicing as a nurse. And you, Chrissy, educate nurse anesthetist students. So what's kind of your feedback on this whole like case study plus lab implementation on the NCLEX? Oh gosh, that's so huge because in real life, what's going to happen, right? You're going to get a phone call from a lab when you're an ICU nurse, let's say, and they're going to say, Hey, you have a critical value. The potassium is 6.8. And then they're going to hang up the phone. Well, if you don't know what a like you're not. So if you're the nurse in that moment, do you really have time to stop and Google what like a normal potassium value is? Like, is that too high or too low? What do you do? Like, meanwhile, there are T waves are becoming peaked and they're about to code. Like, no, we need to act quickly in that moment. We need to know what that lab value means in real time. Or similarly, like you'll be resuscitating a bleeding patient in a trauma or after open heart surgery or as a, you know, CRNA in the operating room, someone's just going to read off a bunch of values to you off a of blood gas, right? They're just going to be like, you know, PO2 is 250, CO2 is 37, like K is five, sugars, da, da, da. And they're just going to go da, 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 da. And you have to know what they mean. You have to know if they're normal or abnormal because we're making second to second decisions and choices and, and mobilizing quickly when patients are critically ill. So these are important things to know. And I think it's really great that we have it in the context of bow tie questions and case studies, because that is how real life functions. And now the test is finally getting you to think like a nurse instead of in the past when the test was really just a safety exam, right? It would just ask about like all of the different ways to keep your patient safe, which is important, but that's only one component of the way a nurse thinks. Nurses are responsible for putting the whole picture together and knowing when to call for help, what to advocate for, and how to kind of facilitate all of the moving parts, right? You are like the hub of a wheel 
skill in the healthcare team. You have to interact with all of these different components at the same time so it all works together. So having questions that help facilitate that thought process is huge. I completely agree about the big picture and the thought process shifting. I think one of the things that transitioning from nursing school to being a new grad ICU nurse, that was the biggest culture shock was the expectation and requirement of me as a new graduate nurse to not only understand the big picture, but to be able to think three to four steps ahead. And I think that starting to train these nursing students while they're still in school to look at the big picture of a case study, including a case study with lab values and then expected interventions, I think that's going to help y'all to start putting those pieces together of like, okay, I have a patient who has sepsis. I'm going to draw these labs and then start antibiotics. What else am I thinking about? What else am I concerned about? What else am I going to be maybe putting near the room in case I need, you know, to place a central line and start leave fed and all these good things. So, and if you have questions about that deeper, that deeper level of critical care and you have a thirst for knowledge in terms of pathophysiology and pharmacology, I'm absolutely going to recommend the Confident Care Academy membership. We have monthly new lectures that we upload and we currently have, I think it's over like 42 lectures about pharmacology and pathophysiology. So if you are finding yourself transitioning from nursing school to working in critical care, definitely check out the Confident Care Academy membership, but you have to pass the NCLEX first. So let's keep on track with that. <laughs> there are, we'll leave this um, update about the next generation NCLEX update with a couple resources to check out. The first is that I will update that 188,000 new nurses have passed the next generation NCLEX so far in 2023, which is awesome. And then, oh, sorry, that that's last, last year. So in 2022, 188,000 nurses passed the NCLEX out of 321,000 people who attempted. The updated statistic is that so far, 94% of people who have attempted the next generation NCLEX have passed who are educated in the United States. So that's about a 95% first time pass rate so far. I trust y'all to keep up the good work and you guys will crush it. One thing I will say is that you can check out a 130 practice question exam for free on the NCBS website. You can also go to the NCBSN's website and then you can look up all these statistics for yourself about first time boards, pass rates, second time boards, pass rates, all that good stuff. I'm a stats girly myself. I know that I think it's really interesting to see how all those numbers pan out. And there's a lot of really good and helpful resources on the NCBSN's website in and of itself, plus that free 130 practice question exam. And I think that really leads into the question of how do you prepare for the NCLEX? How do you study for the NCLEX? And how do you study effectively? for the NCLEX. I will say this, I think lots of students utilize techniques that are not particularly evidence-based. And I think that you can save yourself a lot of time and a lot of headache <laughs> by utilizing these science-based study tips. And I think that your time is very precious and wasting time is something that nobody really wants to do. Chrissy, do you have any examples of what not to do before we tell people what to do? The number one thing not to do is to overly cram or overly study. It is a huge waste of your time to go back through old textbooks and continue to highlight and underline and rewrite things over and over. You're going to be packing so much information into your brain and yet your brain won't be able to take the time to process it and form those neural pathways that are going to allow you to retrieve information. A lot of the times when we go back and reread chapters and highlight and underline, our brain is kind 
kind of passively skimming and we're really not processing or memorizing the information. So that is like the number one mistake that most people do when they study is that rereading, highlighting and underlining over and over and over again. And if you want to, if you don't believe me, please go back and watch our science-based study tips episode. We get into research articles that talk about that and back it up with facts, but you know, believe me here that over rereading is not going to help you. I'll also add that watching videos is another way to supplement your learning, but it's really not a form of active learning and neither is just passively listening to a lecture. You really are going to just want to utilize these active forms of recall and spaced repetition, which we're going to get into. I do want to touch briefly on the forgetting curve. And if you all are really interested in science-based study tips, definitely go check out the science-based study tips episode. We pulled up like five or six or even more. You pulled up a lot of research articles, Chrissy. We dug deep into the science of learning. Um, but one thing we'll talk about here today is the forgetting curve. The forgetting curve was coined by this guy Ebbinghaus in like nearly 200 years ago, but it demonstrates that when you learn something for the first time, if you don't utilize spaced repetition and you don't practice active recall, you're going to forget 75% of what you learn within one day. I don't know about you, but I don't want to forget 75% of what I just sat four hours in lecture in nursing school to learn. I don't know about you, Chrissy. Do you want to do that? I do not want to do that. <laughs> And it's hard because you, especially in nursing school, I just remember these long lectures, like four hour pathophysiology lectures. And you really, it's very easy to fall into this kind of pattern of attending lecture and then mentally checking out for the rest of the day. But if you do that, you end up forgetting 75% of what you learned. So how do you combat the forgetting curve? Today, we're now we're going to talk about how you can combat that and then practice active recall and then utilize techniques that are actually going to work. So Chrissy, we've utilized this framework, this term a couple times in this episode. For those who aren't aware, what is spaced re repetition learning and what is active recall? Spaced repetition learning and active recall go hand in hand. So you mentioned that Ebbinghaus said that 75% of what you forget happens within the first day. So with spaced repetition learning, we combat that by reviewing information in set intervals. So that again goes back to that idea of like not over studying or rereading everything or re-listening to lecture over and over and over again, that's not really going to refresh your memory. With space repetition learning, we are reviewing chunks of information in snack size bite and you're spacing it out. That way you're giving your brain a little bit of rest and time to actually form those connections instead of giving yourself fatigue. The other thing is with active recall, we're practicing digging up that information, right? So we're trying to reinforce those neural pathways that we're forming by using techniques like brain dumping, where you sit there and you take a blank piece of paper and write down everything you remember about a topic without cheating, without looking at other resources, right? So these two techniques really do go hand in hand. We want to use different active recall methods at in the context of spacing it out. While we're talking about using space repetition learning and science-based study tips, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is Picmonic. We love Picmonic as a tool for preparing for the NCLEX next generation. We love Picmonic because it uses science-based learning tools to help you improve recall with over 13,000 practice questions to ensure you're studying effectively for the NCLEX next generation. Picmonic's programming automatically incorporates space repetition learning, which is going to 
to help you overcome the forgetting curve. The visual tools that Picmonic uses are unique because Picmonic images demonstrate entire concepts as a whole, which helps improve memory retention. The adaptable format of the practice question bank combined with the Picmonic memory tools and explanation videos cover all learning styles and help you to recall patient scenarios as a whole versus just memorizing individual facts. This combination of spaced repetition learning and emphasis on visual recall of concepts as a whole is very unique in the NCLEX preparation market. Picmonic services over 1.6 million healthcare students and it uniquely focuses on not only passing exams but on concept retention and on clinical understanding which will make you not only a successful test taker, but will also make you a stronger clinician in the future. Love that. I love anything that integrates the intersection of studying, memorization, and clinical application. That is like the biggest thing that I always drive home to my students. Completely agree. Especially Chrissy for you, because you are a, not only a clinician, but you're an educator of little SRNAs like me. <laughs> my kids. Your kids love you. Let's dive a little bit more into what active recall is and what spaced repetition learning is in terms of how to prepare for the NCLEX. Let's give people some like nitty gritty measurable things to use. One of my favorite tools as a student, because I'm a full-time student myself, is utilizing the Pomodoro method and focused study blocks. So we talk about this in the science-based study tips episode, which we'll link here and in the description below. But the Pomodoro method is essentially 25 minute blocks on with five minutes off and you rinse and repeat those um, study sessions. And for me, I have little self-control. And so I have to physically lock my cell phone up in a lockbox. I can link that in the description if y'all want it, but I will literally lock my phone up in a box for 25 minutes at a time so that I can focus exclusively on practice exams and then practice questions. So at the end of the day, you really just want to be utilizing these focused study blocks and active recall. What you want to avoid, like Chrissy said earlier, is just watching videos or just highlighting textbooks, you want to be actively recalling information. Um, Chrissy, do you want to talk a little bit more about mind dumping and how that is another tool that you can use as you're studying for the NCLEX or for any clinical exam, really? Yeah. So earlier, I kind of briefly mentioned what mind dumping looks like. You take a blank sheet of paper and you write down everything that you know about a concept. The key to it working is not cheating, not looking things up at the same time, otherwise it's completely ineffective. Uh, it doesn't matter if you make it a pretty little chart or a flow sheet, or if it's a paragraph, as long as you're utilizing your brain cells to physically recall information. And that's also why, as you mentioned, Anna, practice questions are another form of active recall as well, right? You're being forced to remember things that you've already stored in your brain and kind of dig them back up from that information graveyard, right? We kind of just have all of this information floating around like a soup in our heads and we need to pull it out and make sense of it and continue to use active methods like practice testing, like brain dumping, like teach back method where you're explaining a concept to someone or re-summarizing it over and over and over so that you're really nailing down the information and forming neural pathways that are going to help you retrieve the information quickly on exam day, right? We don't want to just put it into our brains. We want to practice the act of pulling it back out. I utilize brain dumping in CRNA school all the time for exams. I will even utilize this kind of framework of making a quote unquote cheat sheet where I try to think about the entirety of an exam that's that I'm going to be covered, all the topics that will be on an exam. And one of the ways that I'll study first thing in the morning or after I come back from a break from studying is that I will write down on a physical piece of paper everything that is going to be tested on in the exam or the highlights and kind of over 
overarching messages of what's going to be on the exam. And then I like to think about if I could take a cheat sheet into my CRNA school exams, what would I want on there? And then that's one of the spaced repetition tools that I'll use is filling out that entire quote unquote cheat sheet of what I would want as a reference point if I could bring that in. And depending on how difficult the exam is, sometimes after I click start on the exam, I will brain dump out and I will write out the majority of my cheat sheet so I'd have it with me. But that's another tool that I'll use kind of in the middle of it. Like today I had an exam on local anesthetics and also like anticholinergics and catecholamines. So I wrote down the max doses of all of the local anesthetics as soon as the exam started because that's just one of those numerical things you either know it or you don't and I just like to brain up and go into it that was that's just kind of a CRNA school application but kind of tying it back to the NCLEX and then timeline wise I want to say my recommendation and I'd be interested to hear yours Chrissy I recommend as soon as you graduate from nursing school purchasing one of these board preparation um, materials purchasing one of these um, products and then taking a full length practice exam as a starting point to gauge where you are in terms of preparation for the NCLEX and then how far you have to go. Is that how you did it as well, Chrissy? Um, you know, because my program had me using different preparation tools earlier on and I did the same thing in CRNA school for my boards like I started using Apex maybe like, you know, before my C exam, which was like a year and a half or a year into the program. I can't really remember. And then again, for boards, I'm a big fan of buying one of these programs like Picmonic before you graduate nursing school and start using it your senior year to sort of integrate concepts early on while you're studying for exams, while you're in clinical. So you can kind of practice putting all that together. Just do a few practice questions a day so that you're kind of always priming your brain for it. And then when it comes time to really buckle down and study for the test for real, for real, this is what I did for my both my NCLEX and for my NBCRNA, my CRNA exam, the NCE. I think it's the NCE, NCE which yeah, is yeah. owned by the NBCRNA. Anyway, my CRNA boards, that's what that is. What I did for those both is I did do full-length practice exams after graduation and then in my identified week areas, I would go back to those sections in my preparation programs and kind of do more practice questions on that topic and then go back to old notes or textbooks or, you know, whatever study tools I had and kind of review areas that were ultra weak, right? Like if you just totally don't know a concept at all anymore because of the forgetting curve, you know, you might have to go back and do a little bit of rereading um, and then, you know, concept mapping and brain dumping and summarizing and teach back and then do another practice exam again. So yes. I would say get a program like Picmonic before you graduate, do it in little snack size bites along the way. And then after you graduate full length exams and then honing your studying onto your weak areas and then do another practice exam or two again do it multiple times. I'd agree. And I did it kind of differently than you, Chrissy, um, that we didn't utilize board prep services in my nursing program. What I did was after I graduated, I purchased one of these board preparation services and I took a full length practice exam and it showed me the topics that I was weak on. So I targeted my studies on the areas where I was weak. I studied for about two weeks, about five hours a day. And then I got my ATT and I took it three days later. I'd agree, especially now that I'm in CRNA school, I'm utilizing 
utilizing boards preparation services daily as I'm in school. And I'm hoping that that will help with my prep for boards. So I agree that it's better to do it while you're still in school versus after. But I will say this, don't be intimidated by other people's timelines. Um, don't be intimidated by how quickly or how long other people are studying. If you've purchased one of these boards preparation resources and it's giving you a high likelihood of passing, you're ready to take it. And don't like gaslight yourself into thinking that you're taking it too soon. <laughs> I think I studied like two weeks. Chrissy, you said you studied something like the same, right? Like not very long for the yeah, the yeah. I studied correct. about six weeks for my for the NCLEX. CRNA boards, but about yeah, like maybe three weeks for the NCLEX. We'll have a we'll have a whole separate episode on that. That's a whole different beast. But oh, for yeah. the NCLEX, you can if you are taking these board prep services and it's giving you a high likelihood of passing, and you've only been studying like a week or two. Trust the data points. The data indicates that you're going to pass, and trust yourself. I really think that that leads into day of exam tips. Do you have any kind of mindset tips that you want to leave these people with as they're going in to take their boards? Yeah, the number one issue that I see with students who have test performance issues or test anxiety is that they very much tied their identity and self-worth to their grades on the exam. And, you know, whatever reason that may be, whether it's because of the type of household they grew up in or pressure that they put on themselves, for some reason, there is a percentage of high achieving students who really just believe that if they don't pass the exam, they're somehow like a failure as a person, or it means that they're really not capable of becoming a nurse, or somehow it's shameful, or it means they're bad or not good enough to be worthy of love and acceptance. It's this horrible negative shame spiral and self-talk that a lot of high achievers have. Every single person who becomes a nurse shares this thing in common where they're all very compassionate people who want to do a good job because in order for us to take care of people well and safely and not harm our patients, we have to get it right. We have to do a good job, right? So there's an extra layer of pressure that nurses put on themselves here. So try to do your best, if this is you, to separate your passing of the NCLEX from your ability to be a good nurse, your self-worth, or your identity as a person. People fail exams for all sorts of reasons. You might have not had sleep the night before. You might have had too much caffeine that day. Maybe you studied in a, a silly way. You didn't use a good prep material. That's okay. You can shake it off and take the test again and still become an amazing nurse and take amazing care of patients. So that is the number one thing is kind of like remove that anxiety barrier for yourself. Remove the judgment that comes with a failing grade so that you're not walking into the test so nervous that you can't perform. The judgment and the mindset piece is something that in CRNA school, I find it to be amplified. Like I am more nervous in CRNA school for exams than I was throughout all of nursing school or even for the NCLEX because it does feel like the stakes are <laughs> very high. One thing that I've started doing before exams is spending a few minutes fixing my mindset before I go in and a little saying that I've that I've only found really today that I really like and it gets at that judgment piece is I trust myself. I trust myself that I prepared. I trust myself that even if I don't do well on this exam, that I'm going to figure out a way forward. I trust myself to get through it. And that takes away that judgment piece that you're basing your self-worth as a nurse or as a nurse anesthetist or as a student nurse anesthetist based off of the performance on one exam. So slowing down approaching each question, trusting myself to make educated guesses, even if I don't know something that's, I don't know if that'll be helpful for y'all, but it's something that has been helpful for me with didactic anxiety. A couple of 
<laughs> Thank you, because I actually have failed a couple of CRNA school exams. We could have a whole conversation about that. And of course, failing is less than 82% in my program anyway. But like your self-worth is not tied to if you get like a 76 on an exam, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be a great nurse or a great CRNA. So we can have a whole talk about like mindset and separating your self-worth from your letter grade, all of that good stuff. A couple of other really quick tips, but that does tie into a couple of exam day tangible tips that you can do that are going to make your life easier. They're, very, they're mostly physical because your performance on exams is physical and mental. It's not only mental, it's not only physical, but they go together. So how can you help set yourself up physically to do well in the NCLEX? Try to sleep well the night before. Don't drink. Don't do any other relaxing substances. Just go to bed and try to get a good night's sleep in. Might be easier said than done. And a little mind game that might help you if you don't sleep very well the night before is that my cross country coach would always say that it's the sleep the night before the night before a race that's gonna determine how well you do. She might've just been gaslighting us. <laughs> But it's something that's helped me like just in case I get really nervous the night before like a big exam or a race or something that is like very momentous, right? That did help me. And if it helps you take what applies. The next physical tip is to eat a breakfast that has like protein and carbs in it. Don't just eat something that has carbs because you're nauseous and then you it'll spike your blood sugar, then it'll crash. You want to have something with protein and carbs. Don't drink too much caffeine. Like have un like one cup of coffee. Your cortisol levels are high, so you probably don't need a whole energy drink going in to take the NCLEX. No, that's huge, especially with the eating, because I personally get very um, nauseous when I'm anxious and I don't want to eat, but you do need the energy to sustain you. And so just eating something light, like a piece of toast is like not going to do it. Or like, this is not the day to like stick to your intermittent fasting regimen. Like, I'm sorry. It's just not. Um, I know like a lot of athletes will have a peanut butter and banana sandwich before a race. And it's because you have the carbs and you also have the protein and you also have the fats that are going to kind of sustain you and keep your blood sugar levels stable. And I think that's like an ideal type of breakfast, like oatmeal with like some fruit or something that's just going to really stick to your gut and again, kind of help sustain you. Egg, yeah. Like an egg sandwich, like choke it down. If you're nauseous, odds are you're not going to actually throw it up. I think that's exactly what I did the morning of my NCLEX. Actually, I like, I was like, I'm in Queens. I'm going to get some good bagel and egg sandwich. And I was so nauseous and I did just choke it down, but I was like, this is, this is so worth it. And it's fine. You don't puke it up. You're, you're okay. Again, I, I can't emphasize enough that not too much caffeine thing that really will just make you jittery and have a hard time paying attention. Quick question. This kind of is a physical tip that, oh, and, and again, bringing snacks and water with you. Cause you can keep it in a locker outside of the exam room typically and take breaks. So, um, one thing that I would personally do is when you get to a point that like you're having a hard time paying attention or focusing that's a great time to like use the bathroom take a few sips of water take a few bites of a snack especially after question 75 well i guess 85 now you know the minimum you could pass in is 85 if you get to that checkpoint and the test keeps going that's a great time to take a break give yourself some yeah go go stretch your legs take some deep breaths get some oxygen to your brain have some positive self-talk, kind of take a few bites of food and then come back. I think taking a break instead of just powering through is going to be 
really essential for keeping up your energy for that long haul. Completely agree. And I will also add that positive self-talk is a discipline in the same way that taking tests is a discipline. Y'all need to start practice being nice to yourselves. And I mean that so seriously. Like nurses are so often self-deprecating. We don't believe in ourselves. Sometimes we are really our own biggest hater. And you truly can start to rewire some of those patterns and those thought patterns. And I encourage you to start now. So start talking to yourself like you would talk to a friend. If a friend is over here crying because they got a 96 on an exam, you're going to be like, okay, they're fine. They may, they still made an A. It doesn't really matter. Now start kind of internalizing some of that. <laughs> Just speak to yourself like you would speak to a friend. And then on test day, you are not starting from scratch in the being nice to yourself department. I will also add that um, with the multiple choice, pace yourself. Don't just select something based off of recognition. Sometimes there's like trick questions in that regard. Like you'll see a question and then you'll see a trigger word that's associated with the diagnosis. Read all of the options before you select. So before you select the answer. And then if you are at a point where you're not quite sure, you can usually eliminate one or two of the options. And then if you're guessing, at least you're guessing between like two options instead of four, which then gives you a 50% chance of getting it right. So pace yourself trust yourself, read the question all the way through questions that have phrasing like not like which of the following is not associated brutal that can catch you every time if you're moving too quickly. And that is, uh, you'll move too quickly if you have too much caffeine. So minimize the caffeine. What other like test taking strategies do you have for them, Chrissy? Actually, like, I have a question about this one because obviously it's been a decade since I took my NCLEX. Are you still allowed to have like a whiteboard that you're allowed to brain dump onto in the exam room currently? Or were you allowed to do that? I was two in 2013. And if you do have that option of like a whiteboard or a blank sheet of paper that's provided to you by the test center, that's a great time to write down your normal lab values or anything that you've been really struggling to memorize and just have it in like the corner of the exam. Also, if you have like a question that you think is a trick question or you're having a hard time with it and slowing down, sometimes it's helpful to just kind of like rewrite the sentence. That's like a great way to force yourself to slow down. If you're like, wait a second, are they asking this or this? Rewrite it, rewrite it in your own words and it could become clearer what they're asking you. I don't recommend doing that for every question because you'll take forever and you'll never get out of the exam. But if there's something you're really stumped on, sometimes it's good to kind of just like do a quick mini brain dump about what you know about a topic and then go back, look at the question again and answer the question in light of what you know and what it's actually asking you. It's a great tip. I love that. Overall, you have worked so hard over the last two to four years to become a nurse and you need to trust your gut do the work, use science-based study techniques, listen to the advice of all these nurses who have come before you and tr trust yourself. You have what it takes. You are absolutely going to crush this. And if after the NCLEX, you're heading into critical care, um, come check out the Confident Care Academy membership. We've got you covered in all things pathophysiology and pharmacology, pre-anesthesia school, travel nursing. We've got you covered in the Confident Care Academy membership. Uh, we would love to hear your comments about what you would like us to talk about next time. And we thank you so much for your support. We'll see y'all next time.